The text for this morning's message is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 17, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 8. And I'd invite you to follow along with me in your Bibles or in the Bible in the pew in front of you. Genesis 17, verses 1 through 8. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and will make nations of you and kings shall come forth from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. And I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. I can think of three very typical Advent dangers in America. One is covetousness. Everybody shops and shopping exposes you to a thousand things you don't need and didn't realize you wanted until you saw them. Second is the danger of depression. Tis the season to be jolly. Not many people are jolly at Advent season. Many are lonely. Many are discouraged. Many are depressed. And therefore, the jolly sounds do nothing but compound the difficulty. And third is the danger of tension. It seems like everybody has a deadline, a deadline to get the tree up, a deadline to get the meal made, a deadline to get this service over in four minutes. It won't happen. If you need to be home by 12, you leave right now. What we need in Advent season is a truth from Scripture, a powerful, steady, deep word from God that gives ballast in the ship as it moves through this hectic society, keeps us on course, makes us clear-sighted. We need a solid insight about the meaning of Christ's coming when all the world around us is saying things that aren't the case about Christmas. We need something to keep us sober when everybody seems to be intoxicated by the love of things. And there is something in these four Advent messages, plus the one on Christmas Day that I want you to hear resounding through every message and it comes from Romans 15:8 and says Christ became a servant to the circumcised the Jews to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises to the patriarchs We're talking about covenants promises made to Noah, Abraham, Moses and David Christ is God's yes to all those promises and so what I would like to have ringing in your minds as you shop, 
as you bake bread and cookies, as you decorate your house, as you visit friends and help the needy, is this word. His coming confirms the covenants. His coming confirms the covenants. His coming confirms the covenants. And then I just want to fill up those covenants for you and give new, fresh meaning to the coming of Christ in these days. If you were worried that sin on your part and righteousness on God's part put an obstacle between you and the fulfillment of those covenants, know this. Christ came to purchase the covenants and clear away those obstacles. And he achieved it for all his own. So there is a yes to the covenants in Jesus. And if you belong to Jesus, it's a yes to you. Now, this morning, it's Abraham. Last week, it was Noah. Next week, it'll be Moses. Today, there are three things that I want you to take away from the covenant of Abraham. First, you are the descendants of Abraham if you trust him and follow him, Christ, that is, in the obedience of faith. Second, the promises of that covenant made to you who belong to Jesus are so spectacular they are beyond imagination and beyond anything you'll see in the city center this year. And third, those promises to you from these covenants are absolutely certain and sure, just as sure as God's unchangeable truthfulness and as sure as the fact that Jesus came into the world to purchase those covenant blessings for us. So let's look at those briefly one at a time. First, You who believe in Jesus Christ and follow him in the obedience of faith are the descendants of Abraham, no matter what culture you belong to. Genesis 17, 4 says, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Now, we know for a fact from Genesis that he did not become the father of a multitude of nations in any physical sense. He fathered Ishmael, who became the Ishmaelites, and he fathered Israel, who became the Israelites, or Isaac, who became the father of the Israelites. And that's it. The other sons didn't amount to any nation. That's not a multitude. And therefore, evidently, the meaning of the Lord God in making that promise to Abraham is that there are going to be people from all the nations who will enjoy the blessings of sonship in some way so that it can be said, you have become the father of those many nations. And that's confirmed for us back in chapter 12, verse 3, where the promise went like this to Abraham. By you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And we know from our New Testament perspective how that happened. Jesus was the seed of Abraham. The descendant among all descendants who came into the world, all people who attach themselves to Jesus and enjoy unity with him by faith in him, by virtue of that fact, become descendants of Abraham and heirs of the promises made to Abraham. So it says in Galatians 3.29, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And it says in Romans 4:16, the promise to Abraham is according to grace in order that it might be guaranteed to all Abraham's descendants 
both to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles who share the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. You are those nations, whether Swedish or Norwegian or Lao or vintage American or whatever. You are the nations of Genesis 17:4, and therefore descendants of Abraham, heirs of the promises. So when God said to Abraham 4,000 years ago, behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. He was saying the way is open to every nation of people who attach themselves to the Messiah and thus to his father, Abraham, to become an heir. We don't become heirs of the promise by working for God. We become heirs of the promise by believing that God works for us. Here's the way Paul put it in Romans 4. Abraham grew strong in his faith, giving glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. God is the doer in this affair. We are the trusters, the reliers, the confident ones. That's why Abraham obeyed God, even when it cost him his most precious earthly possession, the boy Isaac, on the Mount Moriah. So these three things can be said in order. One, faith in God's promises. And now we would say on this side of the cross, faith in the Christ who confirmed the promises Faith is the means by which we become heirs of the promises of Abraham. Second, obedience like Abraham's on Mount Moriah evidences the genuineness of faith. And then third, therefore, Jesus could say in John 8:39, if you were Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham did. So we can define Abraham's children from Jesus' perspective in terms of people who so believe, like Abraham believed in the promises of God, that even if obedience costs them them their most precious possession, it will not hinder their obedience. You are the heirs of Abraham, heirs of the promise. If you follow him in the obedience of faith. Second. These promises made to Abraham are spectacular beyond imagination for you and me this morning. Let me pick one verse seven of Genesis 17. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you. And to your descendants after you. The heart of the Abrahamic covenant is that God will be your God. I will be God to you, he says. And the longer you meditate on that deceptively simple statement, the more spectacular it becomes. Here's what Jeremiah thought that that simple sentence meant. Jeremiah said, quoting God, They shall be my people and I will be their God. I will not turn away from doing good to them. 
I will rejoice in doing good to them with all my heart and with all my soul. It boggles the imagination to try to imagine what it must mean for the God who made the earth and the planets and the stars and the galaxies and the universe and the molecules and the neutrons and protons and electrons. What it means for that God to say, I will be God to you. It means that I will take all of my omniscience, all of my omnipotence, and with all my heart and with all my soul in all your circumstances all the time, do you good only. Do you believe that? That everything works together for good because God is working for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Here's the way Paul puts it in Romans 4. The promise to Abraham and to his descendants is that they should inherit the world. Everything in the world stands at the service, ultimately, of the children of Abraham. And that is you. 1 Corinthians 3, all things are yours. Whether the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Do you remember when Jesus was approached by the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection, what he said to them based on this covenant with Abraham? He said, as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what? God said to you, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And do you see what Jesus was saying? He was saying that the Sadducees had read their Bible way too fast. That they had read the statement, I will be God to you. And they had just kept reading. And they didn't stop and realize the spectacular implications that God's godness now stands at the service of Abraham. They didn't realize that I will be God to you means you cannot die. The Sadducees were so naive as to think that death, little old death, could break off the fellowship between God and a person to whom that God has said, I will be God to you. Oh, stupid Sadducees. Stop reading your Bible so fast. Muse, ponder, meditate. I am your God is the most fantastic, spectacular statement in all the Bible. Everything is summed up in the statement. I will be God to you. And you are the beneficiaries of that promise this morning. If you believe it. Now we can walk down Nicollet Mall. Now we're ready. And the call of covetousness 
that comes to us from every store window won't have any more power over you than a peddler trying to sell the children of the king pieces from the castle wall. And the burden of depression will sprout wings. And the yoke of obedience will become easy. And the vastness of the truth that I will be God to you will swallow up your tensions and leave a great peaceful ocean as after the sinking of an enemy ship. First, then, you are the heirs of that promise. And second, it is a spectacular promise beyond my words and beyond your imagination. And finally, in conclusion, third, it is sure. It is certain to come to pass for those who are Christ's. Just as certain as God's truthfulness. A thousand years in thy sight, O God, are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night when it is gone. Do you believe that if on Wednesday past, God had come down from heaven and spoken into your ear, I will be God to you through Advent, that that would not have mighty power yet in your life today? Well, that was four days ago, which amounts to 4,000 years in God's reckoning. And it is true. He did speak it to you four days ago because you are the children of Abraham. And a thousand years in his sight are but as yesterday when it's gone. God said it to you on Wednesday. Does it not have power in your life today? I will be God to you on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and work for you with all my might if you will wait for me and trust my promises. Now, don't throw up your sinful hands in despair and say, ah, it's not for me, not for me. The only candidates for the blessings of Abraham are sinners. Nobody else. And even Abraham would not have enjoyed the blessings of Abraham if Christ had not come and died for Abraham. After the fact. Christ bought the covenant for Abraham and for all the descendants of Abraham. The only people that are candidates for this blessing are sinners. Nobody purchases inheritance from God. Nobody earns inheritance from God. Mary makes it plain. When she was carrying the Lord in her womb, she said these words about the mercy of the covenant of Abraham. The Lord has shown strength with his arm. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers to Abraham and to his posterity forever. Mercy, mind you, mercy 
Mary was carrying in her womb the remembrance of mercy. Do not think that you must earn this inheritance. You cannot earn this inheritance. It is free, absolutely free, and can be had for the trusting. And believe me this morning, if you believe that God, with all his omnipotence and all his omniscience, in all the circumstances of your life is doing you good all the time with all his heart and with all his soul, everything in your life will be different. Let us pray. And would you stand with me for this closing prayer? Almighty God, praise your name for a promise like that. I will be God to you. All my omnipotence as God and my omniscience as God, I will employ for your welfare day and night, day after day, from now until eternity. It is so spectacular, we shake our heads and wonder, can it be for me? God, speak it into the hearts of this people at this moment. My words are so inadequate to make it real. Would you make it real right now and speak it into their hearts? I will be God to you. And receive, O oh God, our praise as we join together and as Leah leads us with the organ and we sing that great chorus of adoring our Savior at Christmas time. Oh, come, let us adore him.